Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 26 to 44, a sermon I've entitled, To the Ends of the Earth. I'm actually going to back up to verse 25. Follow along as I read, here's what it says. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, that is the desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, uh, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit, of Phil, uh, uh, spirit said to Philip, Go up and join the chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led away as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate to his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the, this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went, as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to be stopped. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him. But he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. Uh, as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. You know, when you see paintings of Jesus, one of the most common portraits you will find is that of a shepherd. I mean, the image is drawn from Christ's own words in John chapter 10, where he said this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them away. In contrast to Israel's religious leaders who didn't care for the people they were to shepherd, Jesus not only cared about them, but sacrificed his life for his flock. He went on to say, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's an intimate knowledge between Christ and his followers. They know him, and he knows them. There's also an infinite love demonstrated by the good shepherd for his sheep. He laid down his life for them. But then Jesus went on to say this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, the first fold represents those who are called to faith out of the people of Israel. Do you remember when Jesus sent out his disciples? He said, do not go by the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But who are the sheep from the other fold? Well, that would be the Gentiles drawn from the nations who joined the Jewish believers and become part of Christ's flock, that is, his church. When God called Abram, 
He not only told him that he would make him a great nation, but that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. During Jesus' three-year ministry, the focus was on the people of Israel. But right before he left, he told his disciples that scope had been widened. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, in the first seven chapters of Acts, We've seen that the disciples have been preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. But after the death of Philip or of, of Stephen, a persecution broke out against the church, which caused them to scatter throughout all of Judea and Samaria. And here, in the last part of chapter 8, where Philip witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch, we see God begin the process of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, for us to see how God used this encounter to spread the gospel, and then to help sharpen our own skills in personal evangelism, we want to look at this portion of God's word this morning. So why don't we pray and get in the text. Father God, I do pray for grace and mercy as we look at this. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us, because those of us who know you, Lord, do want others to come to know you as well. Bless us to that end, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a lot of the religions of the world are ethnically based, and in a number of them, the followers don't actually seek to convert others to their faith. I mean, there's 100,000 Shinto temples in Japan, but very few outside the country. The Druze are almost all ethnically Arabs, but they don't look to make converts. Indeed, as a matter of fact, you cannot convert into their religion. Same for the Parsi Zoroastrians. They're Samaritans. Did you know they're Samaritans yet today who practice that ancient religion? But they don't see converts, and until recently, they didn't even allow their members to marry outside of their ethnic group. It's estimated that in Jesus' day, there was between two and three million Samaritans. Today, that number is down to a mere thousand. And though Judaism is a worldwide religion because there's Jews found almost everywhere, they don't encourage people to convert to their religion either. Well, that's not so with Christianity. Convinced that Jesus is the only Savior of the world and that no one can make it to heaven apart from him, the church has always made missions a key aspect of its life and ministry. Well, in this encounter between Philip and the eunuch, I think we can outline the text using five phrases. And the first one is this, guided by God. And that's the verses 26 to 27. Look what it says. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Now, if you want opportunities to uh, witness, you need to look to God to provide them and point them out to you. Now, for us, most of the time, that guidance is going to come with a a sense of burden in our own hearts for a coworker, a friend, or a family member. Or it might come through a chance encounter when you're sitting next to someone on an airplane. But you should always be asking for and looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Well, here, Philip is responding to a supernatural appearance by an angel who told him to get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. I don't know, but I wonder if that puzzled Philip when he heard that. I mean, might he have said to the angel in protest, are you sure this is what God wants me to do? I mean, we're having a great ministry going on in Samaria here. I mean, lots of people are responding to the gospel. Don't you think it'd be better for us to stay a couple years until they get established in their faith? You know, when I worked in restaurants for a number of years, I would always witness to my coworkers, and some of them ended up getting saved. But time after time, it seemed right as the ministry got going, I would get transferred by the company to another store. Now, the first few times that happened, it bothered me. But then I started to realize that God was taking me from one place and putting me in another place because there's somebody else who needed to hear the gospel. And inevitably, I found that to be the case. Well, we've had missionaries who've had to relocate from one country to the next with God opening doors and closing doors. 
Like Philip, we need to be willing to go wherever and whenever God calls us and sends us. And so it says in verse 27, So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure, and he came to Jerusalem to worship. Now the country called Ethiopia here in the Bible is usually called Cush. Sometimes it's known as Nubia. It's centered in the area of the Nile River Valley, located south of Egypt in what is today northern Sudan. By the way, the ancient Greek historian Herodotus referred to Ethiopia as the ends of the earth. So it matches what the scripture says. Well, we're told several things about this man. First of all, we're told that he was a eunuch. That means he had been castrated and had his testicles cut off. What a crude and cruel ancient practice. I mean, we're certainly much more enlightened today with our gender equality. We not only castrate boys, but we cut off the breasts of young girls and pump both of them full of cross-sex hormones. Evidently, we haven't made much progress, have we? Why did they castrate some of these young boys? Well, the idea behind it was that because they could not function sexually, they'd never be concerned about chasing after women or getting married, and they would, get, they would give themselves to more dedicated service to their masters. In countries where the kings had harems, the eunuchs were put in charge of the women. Second thing we're told about him was that he was a court official for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, Candace isn't her name. It's actually a title, like Pharaoh or Caesar. And in Ethiopia at that time, even though the king, they had a king, he was considered a child of the sun, and he was not responsible for actually administering the country. That went to his mother, the queen mother. Third thing we're told about it was he was a treasurer for the county, or for the country. They'd be the equivalent of like the secretary of the treasury for the United States. Do you know who that is? It's a little woman, uh, 76 years old, Janet Yellen, white hair. My son Nathan one time had an email exchange with her. She Someone had debated about how tall she was, and they said she was only like four foot eleven, and he knew it to be taller and put that in the Wikipedia page and told her she had done so. She appreciated that. She's actually five two. So there you go. But anyways, uh, the, the fourth thing we're told about him is that he was attracted uh, to the Jewish religion. It says he had come up to Jerusalem to worship. Now some speculate that he was Jewish himself, or that he had converted to Judaism. No, I don't think that's the case because he was from Ethiopia and he was a eunuch. And did you know that the Old Testament bars eunuchs from becoming part of God's people? In Deuteronomy 23.1, it says this, No one who's emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. But you know, in the ancient world, there were people who were at least bright enough to see the absurdity of the idea of polytheism with their many all-too-human-like gods. I mean, how can there be more than one all-powerful God? They saw monotheism of Judaism with its high ethical standards as more reasonable. So this Enoch made a long thousand-mile journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, perhaps hoping to find the real God and the true religion. But what did he find when he got there? He found empty ritual, legalistic practices, plenty of religious activities, but nothing that would fill his soul and heart. When Luther finally got his chance to go to the city of Rome, it was a big deal as a young monk. He wasn't only disappointed, he was disgusted by the wealth and the opulence that he found in the church. The corruption and the irreverence of the priests who would mock the mass even as they did it. The stupid credulity of the people venerating relics. Rome, the eternal city, and the seat of the papacy, in his mind, was a cesspool of sin. Well, this eunuch may have left disappointed, still empty in his soul, but there was something he gained there 
that was of infinite value, a scroll that contained the book of Isaiah. And it was from this book that he was reading as he traveled on the road to Gaza while heading home. And that brings us to our next phrase, searching the scripture, searching the scripture. It says, and he was, verse 28, and as he was uh, returning and sitting in his chariot, by the way, this would have been more like a covered wagon. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Prince Charles was, had a coronation a few months back. At one point in the ceremony, the moderator presents him a copy of a King James Bible. And then he said this to him, we present you this book, the most valuable thing the world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Now, all the riches and treasure that this eunuch was in charge of was nothing compared to the treasure that sat on his lap. I remember watching a video of Christians where they had smuggled Bibles into the country in China. And uh, they opened up the case and dumped them on the floor. And somebody filmed it. You should have seen those people. They were all adults, but they looked like children at a candy scramble at a parade. And they picked them up and they were kissing them. They're just weeping. And one lady said, she said, this, this is what we needed the most. But you know, it's not just enough to own a Bible. You actually have to read it. And when you read it, you need to understand it. Did this man understand what he was reading? No. That's why the Spirit said this. The Spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And his response was, well, how could I unless someone guides me? Listen carefully. The most valuable thing this world affords is the word of God. But God has given another grace gift to his churches when he gives them competent teachers who, like Ezra of old, give themselves to know the law, to practice it, and to teach it to others. In Ephesians 4.11, it speaks of the gifts that the resurrected Christ gave to his church. It says he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, Philip was an evangelist, and Jesus had given him to the church, and here he was about to exercise his gift by leading this man to Christ. God had already been preparing the heart of this eunuch uh, because it says that he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Years ago, I was working at a Baker Square restaurant. I think I was working with Leslie at the time. And looking for an opportunity to uh, witness to one of my coworkers, I mentioned that a guy named Steve Young had just signed with the United States Football League, a new league at the time, and he had signed a contract for $40 million. Now, that was a lot of money back in 1984. And then when I was talking to him, using that as kind of a hook, I said to him, I said, man, what would you do with that kind of money? He talked a little bit, and I asked, do you think having that much money or having money makes people more happy? And we worked through that. And then I started to talk to him about what was the purpose of life and what do you think happens after death? And then I said to him, you know, you could die at any moment, even though you're young. I said, for instance, did you hear a couple weeks ago, there was a guy down in, uh, in the Twin Cities where they were having a golf tournament. And as he's sitting there watching somebody make a putt, lightning struck, hit him, and killed him. I said, that could happen to you. He looked at me with his eyes wide open. He goes, Doug, I was 20 feet from that guy when it happened. Wow. What a God-arranged coincidence, huh? Well, God arranged a wonderful coincidence for Philip that day. He wanted to tell this eunuch about Jesus, and what do you know? It says in the verse now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to be slaughtered, and as a lamb before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, 
His judgment was taken away. Who will relate to his generation for his life was removed from the earth? Then that's a passage from Isaiah chapter 53. And then the eunuch asked Philip, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? I have to tell you, Isaiah chapter 3 has been used by God to bring more Jewish people to Christ than any other passage in the scripture. There's a YouTube video put out by Tree of Life Ministry. In it, a young Israeli man with a big smile on his face goes around on the streets of Jerusalem and asks people if they've ever read the forbidden chapter. You see, in synagogues, Isaiah chapter 53 isn't read. So he has them open up a Bible and read it out of the Hebrew. And as he reads, they find that there's a prophecy about a man who would come, who would be rejected by Israel and considered cursed by God. This man would suffer and die for the sins of his people, and yet as a result of his sacrificial death, God would prolong his days. Now, how can you prolong the days of someone who's dead? Unless, of course, they're resurrected. Now, most of them are puzzled but intrigued. Some become more uncomfortable as they read along. The interviewer then points out that Daniel chapter 9 tells us that the Messiah has to come before the destruction of the second temple, which happened in 70 AD, and that he would be born in Bethlehem. And after giving a number of qualifications for the Messiah, he then asks each person this question. Is there anyone in history who's fulfilled these things? No. No, I don't know of any that did. Do you? Maybe there's someone I don't know about, and you'll tell me right now, and I'll say, ah, yes, but no one comes to my mind. But then he asks one young man, who paused for a long moment, then he said, uh, Jesus? Most Jewish apologists argue that the one spoken of here is either Isaiah himself or perhaps the Jewish people. But none of those interpretations fit with the text. The suffering servant predicted in Isaiah 53 is the Messiah who is none other than Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. That brings us to our next phrase in the text, proclaiming Christ. And that's verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he preached Jesus to them. Remember what Jesus told the religious leaders? You search the scriptures because you believe that in these you have life, but it's these that testify to me. Not just Isaiah, but all the prophets in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, the law itself shows our need for a Savior because the law demands perfection. Cursed is the man who does not abide by everything written in the law so as to perform it. Well, no one's ever kept the law completely except for Jesus. So it tells us we need a Savior. The sacrificial system pointed beyond itself to the day that God would send his own son to be the perfect sacrifice, to die on a cross for the sins of those who would trust him. And his resurrection proves that that sacrifice was accepted and our sins are forgiven. And having conquered death for himself, he grants eternal life and guarantees the resurrection of all who look to him. Now, the church needs to speak on moral issues. We need to be concerned about abortionism, abortion, racism, child uh, sexual abuse. But we never can lose our central focus, which is proclaiming the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Gentiles, and a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So whenever you start witnessing to people, you need to move towards the issue of their sin and our alienation from God. But you can't leave it there. You have to ultimately drive towards the cross as the answer to our problems. 
And what an amazing thing for Philip. I mean, here he's telling this eunuch that these prophecies that he's reading about that were written 400 years ago or 800 years ago were actually fulfilled just a few months before this by Jesus of Nazareth. And because this eunuch was one of Christ's sheep from another fold, God had arranged for him to come to Jerusalem at this time and be joined by Philip at just this moment while he was reading Isaiah 53 so he could be told that salvation was offered to him as a free gift from God. A gift that we know that he readily received because we read in verse 36, as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? By the way, as I said before, the eunuch was prevented from entering into Judaism by the fact that he was an emasculated male. But God had laid out hope for the foreigners, even in the Old Testament, that when the Messiah came, he would welcome them to join his people. That's what it says in that same book of Isaiah, chapter 56, 3 to 7. It says, Let not the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord, to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and chooses what pleases me and holds fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord to his, be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning my Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer." We sing that song, we've heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land, climb the steep and cross the waves. Onward is our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. You may be sitting here today. Religious? <coughs> moral from the world's standards? Pay your taxes, don't cheat on your spouse? And your sins have never been forgiven. They've never been removed because you've never come to Christ. We sing that song, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can cleanse my heart within? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I went and saw that movie this week, Sound of Freedom. Some of you see that? Pretty good. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do so. Story of Tim Ballard and how he rescues kids who are sold into sex slavery. And at the end, the main actor gives a plea for people to be involved, not to sit on the sideline, but to do something about it. I was thinking as I was watching that if we want to rescue people from the slavery of sexual trafficking, how much more should we want to free them from the slavery to sin that will send them to hell? Paul said it was for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. And Jesus himself said, if the Son will make you free, you'll be free indeed. I want you to take a look at your Bible here. Look at verse 37. Do you notice something about that verse? Should have some brackets around it or something. Maybe some of you don't even have it. That's the publisher's way of pointing out that the most ancient manuscripts didn't actually have that verse in it. So they don't know whether it was part of the original or not. They doubt that it was. But even if that's the case, the truth that's stated here is found everywhere in the scripture. And it says, And Philip said to him, If you believe with your whole, all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That brings us to our next phrase that we want to write down. Homeward with joy. Homeward with joy. Homeward bound, I wish I was. Homeward bound. 
Home where my thoughts escaping, home where the music's playing, home where my love lies waiting silently for me. The eunuch had come to Jerusalem in hope, and he was going home with joy, the joy of his salvation. Shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched me, oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole, oh, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. I sought the Lord, and afterwards I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O oh, Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. That brings us our last phrase though onward with the gospel onward with the gospel the divinely appointed encounter with the ethiopian eunuch was over god's word did not return to him void the gospel again showed itself to be the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes no doubt the ethiopian went back and told the people of his land that there's a jewish savior who offers sinful ethiopians forgiveness of sins and eternal life but philip we're told that he was snatched away by the spirit and he found himself at Azotus, and he uh, passed through. He kept preaching the gospel to all who were in the cities until he came to Caesarea. With the Ethiopian eunuch, the gospel was beginning to go out to the ends of the earth so that those sheep also could be added to Christ's flock and be one shepherd with one flock. But even 2,000 years later, aren't there a lot of people who've never heard the gospel? Isn't that why we support missionaries to Brazil? Tibet, Laos, Jordan, Zambia. We even have a pastor we support that's in Ethiopia. Now, I'm amazed sometimes when I actually lay out the gospel to people, and I'll say, has anyone ever explained this to you? Well, I've kind of heard about it, but no, no one's ever explained it to me. As a church, we seek to give you a solid grasp of the scripture and to train you in apologetics and evangelism. You know, I would encourage those of you who are interested in this, which should be all of you, that you watch regularly Ray Comfort's videos on YouTube. I think he's had 300 and some million views on him. But he goes out every day witnessing to people and laying out the gospel. You learn how to do it and to do it well. Well, we can provide all that for you, but you're the one who has to witness to your family members and friends. You're the one who has to talk to the coworkers. You're the one who needs to witness. Pray for God to open up opportunities for you and then to give you the boldness to speak so that you also can do your part in bringing this gospel message to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout all the world as a testimony, and then the end will come. We've got to get the gospel out. We've got to get it out. Let's pray. Our Father and God, every Christian loves to witness and is excited when we get the opportunity. But we need more opportunities, and we need boldness to actually present the gospel when the time comes. So, Father and God, we would ask that you would do that, that you'd open up opportunities. We think about uh, the Vacation Bible School that's coming up in just a few weeks, Lord, and we pray that we'd get a lot of kids to come and that the people in our church would invite kids that they think about uh, to join us because everybody needs to hear the gospel because there is only one Savior, and that's your Son, Jesus Christ. So bless us to that end. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.